Hey everybody, welcome back. <clears throat> so, um, Renee's going to come up and read for us from uh, a section from the end of Genesis 1 and then a section from the end of Genesis 2. Before she does, I just want to make clear why we're reading two distinct sections of Scripture. We're not skipping the piece in between. Um, we're actually going to preach on that, I think, next week. So we're not skipping anything. But what, if you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and maybe Matt mentioned this last week or the week before, um, you end up with really the same story told twice, right? But with a slightly different perspective. Genesis 1 ends up being the kind of uh, uh, perspective of seated in heaven watching God cook, right? He's doing all of these things, and you've got this grand cosmic perspective seated next to him in heaven. Genesis 2 is a little more zoomed in, zoomed in on what's going on down in the garden. So you're seated there in the garden watching him now interact with the ground, producing the animals, doing all the work of creation there with Adam and Eve and the animals and the, the trees and the sprouts and the seeds, things that you couldn't see maybe quite as clearly from that cosmic perspective. So uh, Renee's going to read these two sections, and they are really the same part of the story just told from those two different uh, perspectives. Okay? So, Renee. Thank you. There we go. All right, so we're starting with Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now we're going to jump over to chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You pray with me real quick. Lord, I, uh, I pray that you would be with me this morning. Uh, be with me right now, Lord, as I take uh, my feeble understanding of your word, Lord, um, on my own. I pray that you would uh, bring your spirit and use my words, use my mouth to communicate the truths of your word to all that are hearing, Lord. Let nothing come out of my mouth. Let nothing penetrate their ears into their hearts, Lord, that is not from you, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that this would be your word preached, Lord, and not Jordan's word or Jordan's thoughts or Jordan's uh, beliefs, Lord, but that this would be your word preached because it's only your word that can transform. It's only your word that matters, Lord. It's only your word uh, that we need for life. So, Lord, I pray that you would be here this morning and that your words would be what is preached this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, I, I know it's May, and I'm a little out of season, but is anybody starting to get a little excited for football to come back? Yeah? So, show of hands, football fans. Okay, so, I, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so naturally, I am a Steelers fan. It is required. You're not allowed to live in Pittsburgh and be a Steelers fan, or not be a Steelers fan. And that changes how you relate with people around football. There's no question when you go to talk to someone that they are a Steelers fan. It's just a given. And that was a real change when I moved down here. Because we live, particularly here in Mount Airy, it seems, we're like on this weird intersection border of team affiliations in the NFL, right? So, uh, show of hands, Ravens fans in the room. Yeah? Uh, how about uh, football team, as it's now known? <laughs> Those are the hardcore fans. I know we've got Steelers fans, and then, and then uh, other, other teams, you've got, you've got all these people... Cleveland Browns, I just don't know, man. <laughs> Eagles. Eagles Knowing that there are these different team affiliations here changes how I relate to people when I talk about football here in central Maryland. Because I don't know when I approach anybody if, what team they are affiliated with. And there are some serious rivalries and serious considerations to take into account. As a Steelers fan in particular, when I approach a Ravens fan, that's a, that's a difficult task. I think what we read here in Genesis are some categories, some distinctions that God has made about how we are to relate to everything in God's creation and to God himself. And so what I want to do today is talk about those distinctions, to talk about how it is that we are to understand and relate to all of creation and to God based on the distinctions he has laid out and not all the other myriad of categories that we could have and that 
our culture very much does have. Before I get into that, though, I just want to say that if you listen closely to that section of Scripture that, that Renee read, there is a lot in there. And I am not going to get to every single thing that is in there. So as I preach, if you're like, oh, but he, he missed that part. Yep, I did. <laughs> we have preached a lot on uh, this passage of Scripture over time. So if you were with us in the fall, I think some of it was still outside when we were at the Hively's. We, Matt preached, I think, a four-part series on marriage, and we came here to Genesis 1 and 2 a bunch, right? I preached a, a message kind of on work out of Colossians, but I came here to Genesis in that message. There's things about the Trinity here. There's things about foreshadowing the first and second coming of, of Christ. There are things about revelations and what the new earth is going to be like. There's a ton here. I cannot cover all of that. So if you want to hear about marriage specifically out of Genesis 1 and 2, I encourage you, go back and listen to those messages from last fall. If you want to hear about work, go back and, and listen to uh, the message uh, in Colossians. They're all on our website, all there for you to listen to. What I want to bring to you today is a message about these, what I believe are three fundamental distinctions that are spelled out here in Genesis 1 and 2 that really inform all of these things. And they're at the, at the root. So let's start with our first distinction, one that we've kind of already talked about. Matt, Matt talked about this a bit last week, and that's the distinction of the creator from the created. Okay, so this is the distinction of God from creation and really God from man for our purposes. And we talked about this, but it is probably the most important distinction, so it's important to restate it here. And just to, just to make it clear, I want you to think about your week and what you accomplished this week. Six days, we're on day seven. Six days, what did you accomplish the last six days? The scripture that we read was day six, what God did. Think about what he did in the preceding five days and on day six. He created the heavens and the earth. The sun, moon, stars defined day and night themselves, as well as the seasons. Separated the land from water, created all of the plants, vegetation, seeds, fruit, the entire plant kingdom. All the creatures in the sea, birds in the air. And now on the sixth day, he's created all of the animals on land, including humanity. How does that match up to your week? What did you do this week? See a difference there between God, the creator, and you, the created? Stated plainly, God is alone and unique as creator. And as the creator, not only does he create, but he defines the purpose and the behavior of his creation. He makes creeping things to creep on the earth. Those creeping things are not to swim in the ocean or to fly in the sky. They creep. And he makes humanity, as we read, to have dominion over the fish and the birds, not to fly like the birds. He defines the purpose of his creation. It's a, this is an important distinction because if we get it wrong... We end up with confusion. 
And you can see this confusion in all kinds of ways, right? If you think of the natural world, the created world as God, as the most important thing, as unique and ultimate, you end up with a naturalistic uh, theology, right? Where I am going to worship the created thing. I'm going to worship nature. And that changes how you interact with nature and the world, the created world around you. If you think of humanity as ultimate, that changes how you interact with all of creation. And if you think of no God, if you wander into atheism, there is no ultimate. There is nothing to be worshipped. But of course, we always worship something. Normally that ends up in self. Scripture is clear. God is the creator. We are the created. God is ultimate and of the greatest value and worth. And the creation exists for his purposes, which is to reveal who he is. As Matt said, the whole purpose of creation is to reveal who God is. And to be clear, you are part of that creation. God created you with purpose, with forethought, and with care. So God had done all of this creating in six days. Here in, in day six, he speaks and brings the uh, animal kingdom into uh, creation, right? All the animals, the beasts of the land. And then this funny thing happens. He stops. So look at um, chapter 1, verse 26, where we started reading. Then God said... Let us make a man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. God stops and has a conversation with himself. This is kind of weird. Now we look at this on this side of the cross and we understand that this is a glimpse, just a little glimpse of the Trinity functioning God is talking to the different parts of himself in the Trinity. How do you think the original reader understood this? The original reader, they didn't understand, to at least not to the same degree we do, who the Trinity is. Why did God stop and have a conversation? In this brief conversation, God makes clear that what he's about to do is going to be different than the other parts of creation he has done so far. And he reveals his purpose in doing that very, very clearly. He is going to make a representative for himself on earth to rule and have dominion over all of the creation. So this brings us to our second distinction. Image bearer from non-image bearer. So the distinction of image bearer from non-image bearer in creation. So man, humanity, from the rest of the created order. So as image bearers, we're different from all other parts of creation. We're not the same as the rest of the animal kingdom. And it's not because we are smarter, we're at the top of the food chain, we have thumbs, we know how to use tools. That's not what makes us different. What makes us different is that we are made 
in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of the Creator. I think this is made most clear over in chapter 2. You can look at verse 18. I'm just going to summarize it real quick. God declares it's not good for man to be alone. And so he wants to make him a companion. And he parades before Adam all of the created animals, the entirety of the animal kingdom, and no helper, no companion is found for Adam. None of those animals are image bearers, not one. So it shouldn't be a surprise that there is none fit for Adam because none of them are image bearers like Adam. That is a distinction from the rest of the animal kingdom. So what does it mean to be an image bearer? I listened to a lot of definitions of this this week. And some of them are very rich and good, but they get really complicated. I, I think uh, the one I heard best was actually from John Piper. And he said, uh, the purpose of an image is to image. So if you are an image, your purpose in being an image is to display that which you are imaging and to tell something about that which you're imaging. So as, as being made in the image of God... The point of us being made in the image of, his, of God is to display who God is to all of creation. We're meant to communicate who God is and what he's like. You think about that, the animal kingdom, the lion, it images a part of who God is, right? It images something about God, but it's a very narrow part of who God is in all of creation. We have a unique distinction as image bearers of God to really reflect the fullness of who God is. And we talked about this last week, right? Remember Matt, Matt said, uh, talk, we talked about all the jobs that we can see God doing in the creation story and how they relate to all of the different jobs and activities that we do, right? So we saw he's a chef, he's an artist, He's a scientist, a gardener, a zoologist, a marine biologist, an astronomer. All of these different things, right? So when we do those things, when we engage in creativity in our, in our jobs, in the different tasks that we do, we image God. Some other ways. God speaks to Adam and Eve, and we speak to God. Nothing else in the created order does God speak to, and nothing else speaks back to God. We are unique. We speak and we image God when we do that. God is generous. He provides for every need that all of the created order has. Talks about the food that is provided for all of the animals to eat, for, the, for, the, for humanity to eat. When we provide, when we make food, when we uh, nourish each other, we are imaging God. And this one I thought was really interesting. God is self-disclosing. The whole point of this story is to tell us something about God. If God didn't tell us these things, we wouldn't know them. So when we are open and honest and transparent with one another, we image God. Further, you can see in the text that as rep his representatives here on earth, he's given us some assignments. 
And there's three major tasks. These are known as the cultural mandate. So just real quickly, what are we to do? What does he command us to do in verses 26 and 28? We are to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with more image bearers. Populate more image bearers to tell about God and who he is. As image bearers were to reflect and tell of who God is, he says, fill the earth with those that can tell. We're to subdue the earth. We're to bring order. Talked about this in that sermon on work, but just kind of quickly, we're to, we're to tame it, to bring forth food from the ground, to cultivate, enhance it, work it, and keep it, to uncover the potential that God has in the earth but is not fully revealed. And this is a bit of an agrarian metaphor, but I think it extends to really any kind of development. So trees for wood to build things, sand or minerals in the ground to make metals and chemicals to, to construct things. Not to abuse or mistreat God's creation in any way. Always, as image bearers, what we are doing is to bring glory to the Creator through the creation. And finally, dominion over all living things. Again, separated from the animal kingdom, right? There's no dominion from animal to animal. We have this unique distinction of dominion. Bring order to tame, to care, and to use. When you do the work of subduing or having dominion, if you're working as an image bearer, you're working to fulfill God's purposes, not your purposes. So you work with that in mind, and you work differently than you would if you weren't an image bearer of God. So this is what image bearers are commanded to do. But there's some fundamental effects that being an image bearer has on both who we are and every relationship that we have. So just consider these with me for a moment. You are defined as an image bearer of God. Which means you are not defined by anything else. You're not defined by your appetites, by your passions, by your desires. You are defined by God. That is the central identifying characteristic of what it means to be a human being. So you're not defined by your work. The work of your hands does not bring you meaning or value. Work was designed for you to image God who is a worker and is meant to bring him glory, but work is not meant to be the glory itself. You're not defined by your desires. There's a lie in our culture that sexuality is the central identifying characteristic of all of humanity and that that should drive everything else. God made gender. God made sexuality as a gift, again, to bring him glory. Sexuality is God's gift. It's intended to be used to bring him glory, not to define who you are. And I could go on. You're not defined by your politics. You're not defined by your family, by your kids. You're not defined by an algorithm or a social media profile. You are defined as an image bearer of God. 
made in his image. That's where your value comes from because you are a symbol of God, the God of the universe. He made you a living, breathing symbol of who he is. And there is nothing you could ever do that could bring more value than that. What about on relationships with other people? Every person that you meet, every person that you see on TV, every person throughout history has been an image bearer of God. No matter who they are, what they've done, where they've lived, they were made in the image of God. So what does this mean? There is no conditional dignity. No person is more important or less important. No person is more valuable or less valuable. How fast they are, how skilled they are, what they've achieved, how they appear. No person is more valuable because we are all made in the image of God. Consider how many of the world's problems between people or groups of people come from getting this wrong. Racism, sexism, ageism, all other sinful forms of discrimination are because we get the relationship between image bearers wrong. Pornography, genocide, abortion, murder, suicide, any form of of abuse, physical, mental, sexual, emotional, neglect of people in any way. These are all distortions of the image of God. At the root of all of these sins is a misunderstanding of the relationship that two image bearers are to have with one another. Now I just want to pause here for a minute. I rattled off a list there of terrible, horrible things. And I know that there are some here, probably many here, that have been impacted by one or more of those things or maybe others that could be on that list. I just want to let you know that as a church, we're here to care for you. We're here to help you process and understand why these things happen and who God is and how you can be healed. So if there's any way that these have impacted you and you need care, come see one of us. Talk to your community group about it. That's why we're in community. We're not divorced from these things. These things happen. They're real. And we want to care and be part of the way that God heals in our community. So this is the first and most important category we should see when we interact with another person. That person standing before you or that person that you're looking at or the person you're listening to, whatever they say or whatever they do, you should see them first and foremost as made in the image of God, as a fellow image bearer with you on this earth. So before you see how old they are, what their gender is, what their race is, what their politics are, their ethnicity, their appearance, how they dress, how they speak, maybe their accent or the language they're speaking, their level of intelligence or education. 
where they're from, their citizenship, their wealth, their social status, and an interesting one now, their vaccination status. <laughs> we need to see them first and foremost as an image bearer of God. That's where their value comes from. That's where their dignity comes from. And that is why we should treat them the way we treat them, because they are fellow image bearers of God. So when you have a disagreement with someone, when you have a different point of view, or maybe even an argument, are you treating that person as a fellow image bearer of God? Do you see them that way? Do you see their point of view? Do you see everything about them first as an image bearer of God? When you discipline your kids, do you see them as slightly smaller, but still very much image bearers of God, made in His likeness? When you watch the news and see a political leader or maybe some person or people in a far-off land, do you recognize them first and foremost as a fellow image bearer? When someone cuts you off in traffic or the waitress gets your order wrong, is your first reaction to see them as a fellow image bearer of God? Seeing people, every face, every word written by another person as coming from an image bearer of God, made in the likeness of God, that should transform your relationship with every person that you meet, that you interact with, that you see here for the entirety of your life. I heard one person say this week, this is really inconvenient. We use different categories in our culture to try and quickly understand and put people in boxes so that I know how to deal with them, how to react. And this contradicts that. It says there is one way. There is one way to view that person, and that is a, as a fellow image bearer of God. <clears throat> so God declares one more distinction. The third and final distinction found at the end of verse 27. Male and female, he created them. So the distinction of male and female as co-image bearers of God. Apparently, one image bearer was inadequate. One image bearer alone was, as God says, not good. It was not good for the man to reflect God who is in community, as we talked about briefly, that let us. Man needs to be in community. Thus, that let us create becomes an us created rather than an I create. I created. And we see that Adam alone was not adequate for the task that God had given to the image bearers. He needed help. Among all of the rest of creation, as we said, God paraded them before him, and no one else 
was found fit for the task. None of these animals could do it because, as we said, they are not image bearers. So God reached in, pulled out the rib, created woman, and Adam's response shows, it shows many things, but I think most of all, it shows that he recognized the woman as a fellow image bearer. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is an image bearer like me. She is, she is the one that I can have community with, and she is suitable for the tasks of image bearing with me. She is what the ESV calls a helper fit. I want to talk about that for a minute. I think that helper, helper fit can, can be a bit of a confusing translation. Helper, somehow, at least my understanding, I think in our wider cultural context, has a, a bit of an inferiority connotation to it. So when I am working on a house project at home, Almost, almost invariably, one of my particularly younger children wants to come and help, be my helper. And it's a wonderful time of teaching, of being with them, of showing them how things work, and, and most of the time, it is, it's a joy. Most of the time, it's a joy, and I have fond memories of it. But rarely, rarely are my young children, my older children are more, more helpful, but my Rarely are my young children really helping me get that task done faster or better. If you hire a, a tradesperson, say a plumber, sometimes they'll have what is referred to as a helper. And that helper is there to hold things or hand them tools or bring them things. There is a clear hierarchy of skill level between the helper and the plumber. My pressure tank rusted out a couple of years ago and filled my utility room with water. And I had never replaced a pressure tank before, so I called my friend, who thankfully is a master plumber, and he came over to help. He came over to help. He was not, by any description that I understand, my helper. If anything, I was the helper handing him tools, watching what he did, because he knows what he's doing. A helper fit for him is not meant to connote any level of inferiority between men and women. Contradictorily, it is meant to note equality and strength. That word that's translated helper fit in the ESV is ezer in the Hebrew. And elsewhere where it's used in the Old Testament it's talking about God coming to help his people, coming to contend, coming to fight for them. This is like the, my friend, the master plumber, and me. There is a clear definition of who is strength and who is not in that relationship. So when, when a woman is described as a helper fit, it is meant that she is here as a necessary addition to Adam, as an ally. Adam 
is unable to complete his job as an image bearer alone without her. He, he, a man, could not fully represent God successfully to creation alone. He needed a partner in this mission, an ally, a fellow image bearer. And we should note here that God did not just copy Adam and make two Adams. I have two image bearers, I'm good to go. No. He could have done that, but he didn't. He created woman who is different and yet an ally that is required. She is both bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh, and yet different as a fellow image bearer. To, to represent God to creation requires both men and women. God makes a clear distinction between them and makes a clear requirement for both. Also should note here, God didn't create three different genders, nor did he ask Adam and Eve to identify themselves and what their gender was. He declared them, both needed, and made them individually as man and as woman. No revisions were required. There was no lack of clarity about who was man and who was woman. And he declares them very good. So then, we see at the end of chapter 1 and at the end of chapter 2, two different pictures, again, that zoom in, zoom out, two different pictures of man and women living together, man and woman living together and living out their image-bearing purposes. In chapter 1, both men and women receive the commandments for humanity. They, They receive that cultural mandate. This is the big picture mandate God has for his image bearers, and it goes to both men and women. Both receive the commands. Verse 26, let them have dominion. Verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. These are the tasks for image bearers, not just for men, not just for women, for both. Both are needed. He addresses both directly and both equally. And then at the end of chapter 2, we zoom in. And now, instead of the global cultural mandate, we see man and wife in marriage. The beautiful picture of man and woman united. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. As I said, Matt talked extensively, four-part sermon last week, or last, uh, end of last year about marriage, so I'm not going to try and repeat all of that this morning. There is much to be said there. But what I do want to say is that hidden inside marriage, there is not clear here, but we find out later in the New Testament that the whole purpose of marriage is image-bearing, Right? The purpose of marriage is to display Christ and the church. That is the purpose of marriage. And so again, here we see that God, in the grand scheme, in that cultural mandate, and here in marriage, zoomed in to a family-level unit. His purpose is clear. His purpose is to display himself to the world. 
The harmony we see here that God's created, the, the purpose of two image bearers for displaying God to the world, allies in the task of ordering, cultivating, caring for, subduing. This harmony is a brief picture. And as we're going to find out in a week or two, it doesn't last for long. Soon sin is going to enter the scene, and the effects will be to distort the reflection of God from the image bearers, to cause them to reflect something else, themselves, another God, to cause disunity among the allies, to cause the task set forth for them to be done poorly or to be undone. But we see peaks throughout Scripture that the image of God remains. Though distorted, though cloudy, though twisted, it remains in every man and woman. But it needs to be corrected. It needs to be repaired. And that is the story of the rest of the Bible, set forth here in Genesis 1 and 2 and then proceeds on, of God sending his Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ, to repair his image bearers who've been distorted and corrupted. Jesus arrives not as an image bearer, but as the perfect image of God. We, we studied all through Colossians. I'm going to pull up a couple of Colossians verses here. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, or all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and all things hold, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the perfect image of God. The exact imprint. Not a reflection or a picture, but God himself. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to repair the broken, the distorted, the corrupted image bearers. Colossians 3, 9 to 11. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there, are no, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Through Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, you have taken off the old self, the distorted image, and put on the new self, a renewed image of your creator. And those purposes that God has set forth, the cultural mandate, Jesus clarifies those too. Consider, be fruitful and multiply. In the New Testament, God clarifies that. He expands that. Jesus expands this into the, into the Great Commission. I think Paul says this clearly in 2 Corinthians. This is 5, 17, and 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We corrupt image bearers that have been reconciled to God through Christ. We are now ambassadors to spread the message of reconciliation, to multiply the message to all other corrupted image bearers. Fruitful and multiply is no longer biological, not just biological. It is also the new birth in the Spirit. Fruitful and multiply. So when you are serving, when you're evangelizing, when you're caring for people, you're fulfilling the purpose to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus, God himself, came to restore corrupted image bearers. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, your reflection of God is being renewed so that you can fulfill his purposes, so that you can accurately reflect the image of God to all of creation, and so that you can deliver that message of reconciliation to those fellow image bearers that don't know it and are still corrupt. Deliver to them that through God, they too can be restored and renewed. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you that you have done what we cannot do, Lord. We are corrupt, we are, we are twisted, we are distorted. But through your work on the cross, you bring renewal. You conform us to your image, Lord. You bring sanctification through your Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, be with us this week. Help us to know where we don't conform to your image. Is it in how we view you as creator or how we view ourselves as made in your image? How we view, interact with other people that are fellow image bearers or how we see men and women. Bring renewal, Lord, so that we may tell all of creation about their creator so that we can tell of the reconciliation that you have brought in Jesus Christ, found only in Jesus Christ, in him and in him alone. Examine our hearts, Lord. Reveal where we need to change. It's only through you, Lord, that we can bear image to all of creation about the greatness of the Creator.